This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevateerie.tv. It's all about bigger, faster, more dinosaur. Because more dinosaur means more money. But what we really learn from this movie is we discover the real monster in Jurassic World is not Indominus Rex. The real monster is something called corporate greed. This idea that we gotta have more, we gotta earn more, it's all about more, more, more. And here's what happens. This insatiable need for more blinds them to reality. And not only does it blind them to reality, it blinds them to even the past. Because you would think after the first movie, somebody would have stepped up and said, Hold up, we tried this before. It didn't go so well, right? But they didn't do it because it blinds them to the past. This sense of greed really gives them this false sense of security, this false sense of sovereignty. And so they're blinded to reality. Now, corporate greed is easy to spot. Corporate greed is something that we see, you know, all the time. Generally, there's this corporation, you know, somebody finally gets fed up with it being corrupt and they go and they blow the whistle and they run to the media, they run to the news and we hear about it that way. But there is a close cousin to corporate greed. Corporate greed has a kissing cousin, if you will, and that is personal greed. And personal greed is a lot more difficult to identify than corporate greed. And the reality is if you and I were not careful we could easily fall into the same pattern, the same pattern that they did in Jurassic World, the same pattern of go big or go home, that bigger is better, that we wanna get more, we wanna earn more, 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 more. And when you go back to this movie, you know, greed drove that. Greed drove that, that idea of more, more, more. And what ended up happening? They all ended up getting eaten alive, right? Like, I don't know if you've seen the movie, that's why we didn't show the clips where the dinosaurs were actually eating people, but it's awesome. You need to watch it if you haven't. So many people get eaten, it's unbelievable, I love it. But the reality is greed, if it's not dealt with, it has a way of eating its own. It has a way, it's the sickness that lives on the inside. And the cure for greed is generosity. In fact, I want you to write this down tonight. This is the big idea, where we're going. We'll throw it up on the screen. The grip of greed is broken by generosity. The grip of greed, the hold of greed on your life is broken by generosity. So why would we want that? Here's why. Generosity is huge. Generosity is the thing that releases God's work in and through your life. Generosity is the the impetus. It's the spark that ignites the work that God wants to do in and through your life. We want to live and be generous. In fact, the Bible, you know, it shouldn't surprise anyone in the room. The Bible talks a lot about generosity. The Bible talks a lot about greed as well. And Jesus himself engages in this conversation uh, in Luke chapter 12. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Luke chapter 12. 
We're gonna start in verse 13. Uh, if you, you know, have your smartphone with the Bible app, go ahead and take that out and turn that on. Generally, people tell you to turn off your phone. I'm telling you to turn it on. Take that thing out. Follow along you know, on your YouVersion app, your Bible app. Take some notes today uh, because we know that only the people that love God really take notes in church. So you should do that. Take some notes. But we're gonna see through this conversation that Jesus is having, there are some very pointed um, words that he gives in this subject of greed. Starting in verse 13, and this is important, this is in red, right? This is Jesus. It says this, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now we've talked about this before, maybe you were here, maybe you weren't, but back during this culture, uh, they would divide the inheritance among the siblings, but it wasn't equal. It wasn't fair. The oldest sibling automatically got a double portion. So if there were two children, you know, one, the oldest would get 66.666, repeating, repeating, you know, percent of the inheritance. The other one would get 33.3%. And so this guy's appealing to Jesus for fairness. He said, hey, tell my brother, you know, let's, let's, let's split this. Let's go 50-50. Let's go halvesies, you know, with this inheritance. And you can see Jesus kind of, it kind of tests him a little bit. He gets frustrated because this is what he says in verse 14. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? And he probably didn't say it just like that, but pretty close. Are you guys awake today? Are we good? Everybody here? Okay, all right. Dinosaurs scare you? Was that it? The big inflatable things? Okay, just checking. Uh, he says, man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? In other words, it's not my job. And then he said to them, watch out. Touch your neighbor, tell him, watch out. Go ahead right now, say, watch out. Now you touch them back and say, you watch out. Stop telling me to watch out, you watch out. Gotta wake you guys up. Be on your guard against all kinds of what? Greed. Now this guy comes to Jesus, he doesn't mention the word greed. What he says is, I wanna be fair. He's appealing to him for fairness, but Jesus, get this, don't miss this, he knows the heart. He knows the motivation. He knows the real agenda of this guy. So he calls it what it is, and he says, it's greed. It's greed. Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. The reality is greed is difficult to spot in the mirror, isn't it? No one woke up this morning, looked in the mirror and said, man, I'm just a greedy person. Like no one in this room did that, more than likely. It's hard to spot in the mirror. It's easy to spot in other people, right? We can point out greed in others all day long, but it's difficult to spot in ourselves. That's why Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. Now hold up, Jesus. This is, this is America. And here in America, we know it's all about our possessions, right? We know it's all about our stuff. This, we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of stuff. That's, that's what we live for. You know what? There's not, I would say right here and right now is the best time for this message to be preached because we live in a culture that's not content with what we have. It's all about more. It's all about bigger and better. Go big or go home. In fact, so much of our generation and culture, we buy things that, that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. All the time. It's all about more, more, more. In fact, you can just turn on the television and you can understand this. You'll, you'll see the sickness 
of greed penetrating the media. They say, hey, you gotta buy this. You gotta, you gotta you know, have this car. You gotta wear these shoes. You gotta drive you know, this car. You gotta, you gotta live in this house. This idea of, of greed, this desire to, to constantly acquire. And the world is telling us what we need to be happy. And we think that having stuff equals happiness, but you need to understand this. Happiness is not what you have in your hands. Happiness is what you have in your heart. And it was never about stuff. And Jesus looks on and says, hey, watch out. Be on your guard because life does not consist in the abundance of stuff. In fact, I want you to write this down. Stuff doesn't equal life. Stuff does not equal life. Your self-worth is not determined by your net worth. It's not determined by what you have, which is contrary because we bought into this lie that, well, I am, you know, who, what I have. And if I have more, then obviously I am more. Go big or go home. Can I tell you something, church? When you're faced with a go big or go home decision in life, you might as well just go home. Like you're better off just going home. But nobody says that. Everybody says, you gotta get in now, you know, buy it now or miss out on the opportunity. You know, you need to go big or, you know, go home. You're gonna miss out on this deal. Fight that urge because that urge that, that wants to grab a hold of, of the wheel and drive your life, that's greed. That's greed. And if that's such a great deal, go big or go home, if that's such a great deal, that great deal will be there tomorrow too. Like nobody says that. Fight that urge. Jesus says stuff doesn't define you. It doesn't define you. Now, before I, I move on, I, I want to clarify something. Jesus never said in this, it's wrong to have stuff. He didn't say it's wrong to have stuff. I don't want you to leave here tonight and feel guilty and say, pastor said, you know, we, we shouldn't have stuff. And you go out and you get in your nice car and you feel bad about it. The Bible doesn't say you shouldn't have things. It doesn't even say you shouldn't have nice things. So I don't want you to mistake, you know, what I'm saying tonight or hear something different. In fact, I'll say it this way. It's not wrong to have things. It's wrong when things have you. It's wrong when those things in your life have a hold of you. So if there's something in your garage, if there's something in your closet that you own that you can't live without, there's a good chance you don't own that thing. It owns you. That's what Jesus is saying. Watch out. Be on guard against greed. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of possession. So he's helping this guy understand what greed actually looks like, how it hides itself and disguises itself. And so he launches into this parable, this story with a point. Verse 16 says this, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. All right, so he's having a good year. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then Jesus said, this is what, sorry, not Jesus. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones so I can store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, when you first read that story, the question comes up, so what's the problem? Because it doesn't look like this guy does anything wrong, right? He's successful. He's had a good year. He hit his entire year sales goal by the end of, you know, quarter two. It's looking like he's doing pretty well. He's storing his excess. He's successful. It doesn't sound bad. In fact, it sounds like something we would all want. Like, I, I want to have the problem, you know, of excess profit. That doesn't sound like a bad thing. Until 
you realize what Jesus is taking this, where he's going, and you read the next verse, verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. Now, real quick, if God calls you a fool, that's bad. That's not going to turn out good. This wasn't like a playful, you fool. This wasn't like you see your boy and you're like, what up, fool? That's not what's going on. Okay, this is not a good thing. He says, you fool, this very night your life is going to be demanded from you. You're going to die. Then who's going to get what you prepared for? Who's going to get all that hard work, all that effort, all that you've put into it? Who's going to get that? Jesus is trying to help him understand. He didn't come down on him for stuff. It wasn't about stuff. It wasn't about making money because some people read that and go, see, see, the rich people are evil. You know, the rich people, you know, they're, they're, they're awful, they're terrible. God killed the rich guy, but never considering that this guy is rich because he worked for it. Never considering that this guy's rich because he got out of bed, he worked a job, maybe he was good at what he did. Maybe he, you know, uh, he, he didn't ask for a handout, but he worked hard. He saved for the, the future. He didn't live in just the moment. That he worked for what he had. And I'm grateful, and, and you are too, that we live in a country where we still have the opportunity to do that. Like we are blessed here in the United States. I praise God that we live in the land of opportunity, but I don't want you to miss this. He didn't curse him for being rich. He cursed him for his greed. He cursed him for being greedy. And people get all bent out of shape. Well, they're rich, they're this or that, starting to point out what some people have and what other people don't have. And here's the thing, you gotta be very careful when you start doing that. Because in this world, there are righteous rich people and there are unrighteous rich people. There are righteous poor people and there are unrighteous poor people. And it's dangerous when you start to associate someone's economic condition with their spiritual condition. You gotta be careful of doing that. He didn't curse him because he was rich. He cursed him because he was greedy. Now, I know there's this idea, and maybe some of you have thought this or have this, this, this poverty gospel, that people equate poverty with godliness. I don't think that that's a biblical principle. I don't. In fact, I'll say this. If God has given you the ability to generate wealth, then you should do it. Like you should generate as much as you can to be a blessing to others, to make an impact for the kingdom. But it's not about having stuff. In fact, write this down. It's not wrong to save. It's not wrong to plan. Just don't let your savings become your savior. Just don't let your savings, just don't let all that hard work and everything you plan for and prepare for, that that's what you depend on and what you rely on. Don't allow your savings to become your savior. When it has, greed has overtaken your heart, your heart. So that's what's happening with this guy. He stopped acknowledging where the, the blessings were coming from. He said, look, you know, I've had a great year. I've done this on my own. I'm gonna build myself some bigger barns. I'm gonna store up my, you know, my excess. I'm gonna kick back, I'm gonna relax, he says. I'm gonna eat, drink, and be merry. And then I love this, Jesus poses this question. He says, all right, who's gonna get your stuff? So what's all that hard work and all that planning gonna get you when you die? That, that desire to acquire and accumulate, where's that gonna go? Who's gonna get it? And we've all seen this. Some of you have lost a parent, you've lost a loved one. And as soon as that person you know, passes on, sometimes things can get ugly. 
You have, you know, the, the siblings rushing in. And greed says, man, I got to make sure I get my piece. I got to get, get my share. I got to get more, get what I can while I can. And so Jesus is warning this guy. In verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. See, the problem wasn't that he made money. The problem wasn't that he had excess. The problem was he gave no consideration to where the increase came from, to who was responsible in the first place. Gave no consideration to what he should do with that increase. He never asked the question, God, hey, what should I do with all this that you've blessed me with? Because something we miss in the story quite often, uh, in verse 16, it says, the ground of a rich man yielded an abundant harvest. All right, this is question and answer time. Let me ask you this. Who created the heavens and the earth? God. All right, we can all play along. In fact, if you just say God when I ask a question, in church, 99.99% of the time is going to be right. All right? God. So who created the heavens and the earth? God. Who, who established the laws of agriculture, do you think? God. Yeah, you're, you're waning on me. You're fading off. God. Like who, who made the, the seasons? Who brings the rain? Who, who waters all of that? Who does that? God. So ultimately, who was responsible for this abundance? God was. And he didn't come down on him for what he had. He came down on him for not understanding where it came from. This guy had a part to play in this? Absolutely. He had to work hard, and I, I can appreciate that. He had to do his job, and I give him credit for that. But the increase ultimately was only because the blessing and the favor of God. That's it. But he lost sight of that, even though he worked hard. And I love that he worked hard. In fact, I think too many people today are allergic, you know, to hard work. They don't want to work hard. But he worked hard. And the Bible tells us we should work hard. The Bible tells us that whatever we put our hand to, you know, we should, we should do the best job we can at it. Like we, we're working for God and, and not for men. So, you know, be the best employee you can be. Be the best boss you can be. Be the best, you know, whatever it is you find doing. And if God had the ability to bless this guy and his hard work, here's what you need to know. I believe he'll bless you and your hard work too. We serve a God who is not short on blessings, but it could be that he's short on blessable people. Are you placing yourself in a position to get blessed? Are you, are you working hard as for the Lord and not for men? But what happens with most of us is when God does bless us, then we start asking those questions. All right, well, what should I do with it? How should I invest it? You know, how should, I, how should I store this up? What stock should I put it in? And there's nothing wrong with doing that, but there's an infinitely better question that you should be asking. This is the question that this guy should have asked. Write this down. God, what do you want me to do with what you have blessed me with? Instead of asking, what should I do with this excess? First ask, God, what do you want me to do with all that you've blessed me with? See, everyone in this room has gone through lean seasons in life. Like, everyone in this room have experienced times in their life where, you know, you get to the end of the month and there's more month than there is money left, right? Amen? Anybody there? Ever been there? And what happens is we start to cry out to God, God, I need help. God, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. God, I don't know how I'm going to get by. God, I don't know where it's going to come from. And then he blesses you. And somehow you get by and you manage, but we forget about 
where that blessing came from. And we stop asking God for help. We stop searching for his wisdom. We stop seeking him. We forget about the God that we leaned into during those lean seasons in life. In fact, this happens throughout the, the entire Old Testament. The, the people of God, the children of God, the Israelites, you know, they would go through these periods of just complaining. God, where are you? God, we need you. God, we're hungry out here in the desert. And God would send manna from you know, heaven and they would get up and they, they would eat and then they would forget about the blessing they had. God, we're tired of this blessing. We're tired of this stuff that we have. And he would send them quail and then you know, that'd be fine. And they would just go on this cycle of, of having God bless them and then running away from those blessings of God, and we do the same thing. And this guy would have been better off to say, God, I'm blessed because of you. I have this harvest, this abundance because of you, so what would you have me do with what you blessed me with? But he didn't do that. So this story really serves as a warning. Jesus is telling this audience, he's saying, this is how it will be with anyone who cares more about storing up their stuff who cares more about storing up things for themselves, but isn't rich toward God, that doesn't ask God first, what do you want me to do with the increase? What do you want me to do with what you've blessed me with anyway? And we do that because of greed. And greed blinds us. Greed is all about ourself. Greed is about self-fulfillment, about self-promotion, self-desire. And if I'm gonna go back to this movie real quick, um, Jurassic World, it was intended to, you know, this, this animal, this Indominus Rex was intended to bring a bigger profit, but greed always has a price tag with it. And this animal ended up destroying everything, really. And this happens to people too. This idea that, that you know, I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna store up, you know, my stuff. I know people who spend their whole life trying to make money only to arrive at the end of their life and try to actually start to make a life because they've been so wrapped up, so busy in stuff, stuff, stuff. And greed is that monster that must be eliminated, must be taken down. In fact, there's a scene in the movie where Chris Platt or Pratt, does anybody know? Pratt, P-R. See, I said it wrong earlier, and I think I'm gonna get an email just for saying the wrong name, but whatever, that's fine. Chris Pratt, all right? At the end of this movie, well, once, once the Indominus Rex like gets out of its enclosure, it takes off, you know, and it starts killing people. It's awesome. You got to watch it. And he's just, you know, he's taking off and they send this, this, this kind of this troop, this army, you know, of guys to go capture it and bring it back. And they're using non-lethals. And he says, you guys are using non-lethals? This thing is a killer. It's going to kill you. And they respond by saying, there's no way we're going to um, kill this animal that we've invested $26 million in. We just can't kill it. But what they didn't realize was that if they didn't kill it, it was going to kill them. And it did. And the same thing goes for greed in your life. If you don't ruthlessly eliminate it, it's going to kill you. And it's that thing, it's that sickness that lives inside really of all of us to certain degrees. And the only cure for it is generosity. And generosity breaks the grip of greed in your life and my life. And generosity is a thing that releases the work that God wants to do in and through our lives. Now, before I wrap this up, I want you to hear me. This today is not about tithing, okay? Generosity and tithing are completely different things. 
So don't hear me like saying, oh, this is just about money. All the church just wants my money. So you don't have to, you know, start freaking out. We already took an offering. You guys can relax today, all right? It's not about that. Tithing is, is an act of obedience that people who follow Jesus we enter into based on what God's word tells us. I mean, that's, it's as simple as that. Generosity is something different. Generosity is going above and beyond. Generosity is taking a look at what you have in your hands, taking a look at what you have in your closet and saying, you know what? Does this thing, do I own this thing or does this thing own me? Can I bless somebody? Have I been thankful to God for what I have you know, in my hands? In fact, um, there's a story. The only miracle that is in all four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I think it's Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, John 6, I think, is, do you guys know what it is? It's the feeding of the 5,000. The only one that's in all four of the gospels. And if you guys remember this story, this little boy you know, shows up and there's this crowd of people. The Bible says 5,000, but scholars say you know, they're just counting the men. So with women and children there, there would have been 10 to 15,000 people on this hillside, all gathered around, getting hungry. So at the end of the day, this little boy shows up and he you know, just got you know, back from Long John's. He's got a number four value meal, right? And he's got five loaves and two fish. And what does he do with them? What does he do? He gives them to Jesus. Everything that he had in his hands, he took and he gave that to Jesus. And then Jesus takes what he has. And what does Jesus do? Jesus blesses it and he breaks it. And then he gives it. He's a giver. In fact, it's a spiritual impossibility to become more like Jesus and not become a giver, not become more generous. It doesn't work that way. You don't become more greedy following Jesus. So Jesus blesses it, breaks it, gives it to the disciples. What do the disciples do? They take it and they give it. They give it. So here's the question I have for you. Do you think that boy got to eat that day? Yes or no? Yeah. I would say that's a pretty unbelievable return on his investment. Feeding tens of thousands of people with all that he had because this boy stepped up and said, you know what, I'm gonna give everything that I have. That's generosity and that opened the door for God to work in and through his life and do amazing things and impact far more people than he could have ever imagined. And you know what happens at the end of that? Jesus calls for an offering and they collect these baskets and they pass them around. There's 12 baskets full of food. There's excess, there's surplus, there's more left, I gotta think that that boy went home with more than he came. I gotta think that that's what generosity does in your life and in my life. We leave with more than what we came with. I'm not always talking about financially either. Maybe some of you need to show some unbelievable generosity and forgiveness. And when you do, when you open your heart and you forgive someone, you're gonna leave with more than, than what you came. Generosity, it unlocks the, the power and the potential that God does in and through your life. Here's what I want us to do. Would you bow your head with me today? And I wanna ask you that question again, just in, a, just in a, a matter of prayer. I want you to consider this. I want you to first take an inventory of the stuff that, that maybe owns you. Like what is it in your house? What is it in your garage? What is it that you say you can't live without? Because the reality is, in America, 
whether you feel it all the time or not, you are extremely blessed. You are unbelievably blessed. So what is it? And then I want you to ask this question to God. God, what would you have me do with what you've blessed me with? What would you have me do with what you've given me? How can I be a blessing? How can I surrender that to you, God, to impact more and more people? Maybe it's thousands, maybe it's millions. But just prayerfully consider that tonight. And while we're praying, there are some of you in this room, maybe this is all foreign to you. The sense of, of giving, this idea of, of giving of yourself, of being generous, like you've never been taught that. Here's why we teach that. God himself was the most generous God because God himself gave what was most valuable and precious to him. He gave his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for you. God and Jesus are our examples, our models of what it means to give. And Jesus gave his life for you so that you could have life in him, the Bible says. And then as we receive that, confess our sins, believe that, that Jesus you know, stood there on the cross, bleeding and dying for my sin, he covered my sin, he covered your sin. And as we confess him as Lord, the Bible says that we will be saved. So tonight, maybe your first response is, an, is a response of gratitude and not generosity saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. And tonight, maybe this is the, the opportunity for you to cross that line of faith and decide to fully give your life up and follow Jesus. And if that's you tonight, I wanna lead you in a prayer. This is the way we communicate with God. And the most important part is that you mean it in your heart. The Bible says as you confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. You give him your life, and then the life he gave for you says comes and lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit comes and makes you new, gives you a fresh start. Maybe that's why you're here tonight. If so, let me lead you in this prayer. You can whisper it. You can pray it in your heart. God knows. Jesus, tonight, I just want to say thank you for giving. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for dying on the cross so that I could live. Tonight, Jesus, I wanna make you that, that one thing in my life. I wanna let go of everything else. I wanna surrender it all to you. So I confess you as Lord. Tell him that again, I confess you as Lord. Jesus, take my life, make me new. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's stand and celebrate with those tonight that decided they're gonna give Jesus their life. And now Jesus is that one thing that they have to live for, that one thing that's gonna sustain them, that one thing that will give them the abundance and excess. And tonight, let's be grateful to God for that one thing that we have. We're always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevateerie.tv.